Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Welcome, welcome. Give it up for the worship team. Amazing set, amazing set. I'm so happy that you're all here. If you're on live stream, we welcome you, even though you're not here with us. Um, so I'm going to get going quickly before we get started with a, an offering message. And I have this thing, which I've never had before. I feel more powerful with it. This podium instead of just a little table. So I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 13. It says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have provided yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And that's exactly what our, what our giving, what our tithe, what our offering does. It goes out so that other people can hear the, the good news of the gospel, so that they can in turn praise God. And that's why we give, so that the message of the gospel can be sent. So our ushers are going to come forward, and uh, they're going to pass the buckets. And while they do that, I'm going to get started here with a story. So, I'm going to get started with a story about a student teaching. Uh, during my student teaching, I had this happen. It was early on. It was funny. But it was also very hurtful for one of our students. They, there was some name-calling involved. And so I was teaching a lesson, and this girl and this boy were, were kind of talking in the front. Thank you, Gabe. I get a nice towel too. I guess he thinks I'm going to be sweating or something. It's game time. I don't know if I'm that intense. Anyways, I wish I had my table now. I don't have anywhere to set this. Um, so there's some name calling going on and, and you could tell there was just some drama, you know, like he said this and then she said that and then they were giving each other some dirty looks and I was like, what's going on? So afterwards I pulled him out in the, in the hallway and when I asked one girl, I said, you know, what happened? This little girl was like, will he call me a name? I said, well, I kind of assumed that. What did he call you? He said, he called me this name. I'm not going to say it now. Started with a B. And I said, did he really say that? He said, yeah. He said that. And he said he was mocking me because she had some, some braids. He said, yeah. And he called me another name too, making fun of my hair. And I was like, oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. So then I go to the boy and I say, I say, because one thing you learn about fourth graders is you, know, you can't really trust them. <laughs> Sorry. So I go to the boy and say, what would you say to her? He said, well, he felt really bad. He's like, man, I was making fun of her hair. I was making fun of her. And I said, well, what would you say? He said, well, I called her a yarn head. I said, 
yarn head because she had braids. I said, ooh. I said, did you call her a name that starts with a B? He said, no. Sir, come on, dude. Own up to it if you did it. He said, no, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I just called her a yarn head. So I called the girl back. And I said, did, did he really call you that? He said, yeah, yeah, he did. I said, well, he doesn't say that you did. He, no, he said that he didn't call you that. She gets this look on her face. I said, did you lie to me? She's like, yeah, I lied to you. I said, why'd you lie to me? Because <laughs> I thought by lying, I could get him in trouble. I said, oh my gosh. <laughs> didn't discount the fact. That has nothing to do with anything that I'm going to talk about. Um, but I was told to tell a funny story that really wasn't that funny. So I'm sorry. <laughs> if you'd have been there, it would have been funny. And then afterwards I found $10. It was great. <laughs> so I have, I have this thing. So if I tell a funny, uh, a bad story, I'll say I found $10 because then it makes it a good story. Cause if you find $10, it's a good day. Amen. So we're really going to get started here. I'm going to stop being ridiculous. Um, so have you ever been in this situation? So a uh, title today of this message is called Ordinarily Extraordinary. So have you ever had a situation where you're going through like a tough time, right? You're going through a time that it's just like, man, you're not, you're in this place where it's like, I do not see any way out of this this position that I'm in. I do not see any way out of the circumstance that I'm in currently. Even though people may say some things, it's going to be all right. You're like, no, it's not. It's just tough because you're going through it. You feel the pain, you feel the hurt, you feel the discouragement, and you're living in it. And then we all have that one person in our lives that will come up to us, and they don't really know what's going on. They don't really know what you're feeling, but they're, they feel awkward because they're talking to you and they know what's going on. So instead of saying nothing, they decide to say something. And the something they say is not very comforting. They say, well, it will get better. You ever had someone say that to you? So in, in trying, <laughs> so they say, don't, don't worry, it'll get better. Don't worry. But you're thinking, okay, you just made it a whole lot worse because I don't see how it can get better. And you saying that it will get better just makes me think that it won't get better. And in their, not their ignorance, but in their, in their stance, they're trying to help, but they just don't. It actually makes it worse off. It will get better. So I'm going to read a verse to you. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. For I know the thoughts. This is a pretty popular Bible verse. Sometimes it is translated to, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope in the future. I just like this version a little better. I know the thoughts that I have towards you, but it's important to know the context of this verse and what's, what's going on behind it. So what's actually happening is the Israelites, God's chosen people, are taken captive into Babylon. So they're slaves to the Babylonians, to King Nebuchadnezzar. And so they are out of the promised land and they're now in this city called Babylon. So when, when the Lord, when God tells Jeremiah to tell this to the people, he says, do not worry for I know the plans or I know the thoughts that I have towards you, plans to give you a hope and a future. 
So during the time that God said this, they were going through some pretty tough stuff. They were looking, their circumstances were not very optimistic. They, it's very, it'd be very easy to be pessimistic in their, in their state of being because they were slaves. But God said, don't worry, I have a plan and the plan is to prosper you. In the midst of their slavery, God still has a plan. And I think that's the case for a lot of us. We go through situations where in seasons of our life where we're like, I just don't see a way out of this. I just don't see how God's gonna use me. There's no way that God can use me. There's no way. I'm a slave to this. I'm a slave to this. I'm a slave to this. And they all got me wrapped up. But God's saying, don't, no, 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 no. You might be in the valley or you might be on top of the mountain or you might be coasting through life. But God's saying, I have a plan for you. Even when you're a slave, even when you're a slave, God is only thinking good things towards you. He's saying, I have all these plans and purposes for you to do that only you can accomplish, that no one else in the world can accomplish because I trust you. Even when you don't trust yourself, he says, I'm trusting you. Jeremiah 29, 11. So God has these great thoughts these great plans, these great purposes for your life that only you can accomplish. This is good news. And deep down inside of all of us, what I believe is that we have this desire to be significant. We have this desire to matter. We have this desire to be someone. We have this desire to be utilized in our life so that our life is worth something. It's deep down inside of all of us. And what my job today is, what my goal here today is to proclaim that to you. And even when you don't believe it, that I can say that I believe in you. And that I believe that each one of you has a specific calling, a specific purpose, a specific things that God has planned for you to do. Specific. No one else in the world can do those things but there's some things that get in the way of us doing and accomplishing those things. So today our goal, our purpose is to realize what we need to do today in order to prepare for our future or in order to prepare for our purpose or to prepare for our plans. What can we do today? And let me just say something. No matter what you do, you can't mess up God's plans totally. If you disobey, it doesn't matter. He'll still get you there. If you say no, he'll still get you there. If you go the opposite direction, he still has a plan. There's not only just one plan for your life. And I think I want to free some people here from this, this idea that if I don't figure it out, then I'm going to miss out on everything that God has for you. The reality is there's not just one thing that you can do. God actually, I like to think God has so many plans for you and he has one, he wants to get you to one thing or he wants to get you to a place, but he has all these different routes that he can take you. It's like when you plug into your GPS, you take a wrong turn. It's like recalculating and it takes you a different way. You take a wrong turn again, recalculating. It might not be the shortest path there, but he has a plan for you. So if you don't know where you're going, if you don't have a plan for your life, if you're like, you know what, you're saying all this, but I don't really believe that. I don't really believe that God has a plan for me. Guess what? You're right where you need to be because he does. It's a purpose and it's so big. It's so grand. It's so specific to you that it's incredible. Here's the deal. You cannot, 
you cannot disobey your way out of God's plans. But you can elongate or you can make it, you can make it so the path there is longer. The path to your purpose is longer. Does that make sense? So you cannot totally avoid God's plans. He always has those, but you can make the path just a little bit longer. You look at the Israelites. Their purpose was to go to the promised land when they went in Exodus from Egypt. And, and they say, all the historians say that it's about a 40-day walk with that many people from Egypt to the promised land. 40 days. Do you know how long it took them? 40 years. The purpose was the promised land, but because of their disobedience, it took them 40 years. It doesn't mean that God's purpose wasn't fulfilled. It didn't mean that they didn't get there. It just took them a lot longer. So our goal is to make it to our purpose through the shortest route. How many know when you get that GPS, it says 45 minutes to your destination. All the guys here say, that's the time to beat. Let's go. We want to get there as fast as possible. So how we get there is to obey. Let's take, a, let's take a look at a verse here. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. So this, this is a long passage. I want you to follow with me. It's Matthew 25, 14 through 30. We'll, go, we'll break it down step by step after this, but this is where we're going to start. Again, it will be like a man. This is, the, this is the, talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. It's a great thing. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags of gold, and to another one bag, each according to his, perp- uh, his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share with your master's happiness. The man with the two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share with your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I had harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the kingdom of God, guys. This is exciting news. This is what Jesus came to preach, that the kingdom is here and this is what it is. So we're going to ask three questions today. 
three questions to you to evaluate your own life so that we can step forward, so we can start moving towards the purpose, the plans, the calling, the destiny that God has on your life. The one that you can't escape, that one, remember? Three questions that we want to ask ourselves to move forward. The first question, what has God trusted you with? What has God trusted you with? There are things in your life that only you have been trusted with. There are people in your life that only you can influence. There are jobs on this earth that you are doing. There are things in your life that God has trusted you with. There are things that you have in your life that are of great importance to God that I, that, that her and him and, and him, that they will never be able to speak into. There are people in your lives that I cannot reach. There are jobs that you are doing. So the question is, what has God trusted you with? And the first step to fulfilling our purpose is to allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate the things in our lives that God has entrusted to us. Let's take a look at the story of of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So there's this big crowd of people and, and they're saying, yeah, we should feed them, we should feed them. And he says, well, what do we have? It would take six months wages to feed all these people. And he says, what do we have? Jesus says, what do we have? Jesus says, what do we have? He says, well, we have f- five loaves and two fish, but how is that going to do anything? Well, we have this right here, but there's 5,000 men, which means there's about 15,000 people at least. How are we going to feed all that people? He says, give them to me. Give me what you have and I'll turn it into a, a thousand. I'll turn it into 10,000. I'll turn it into this great multitude of food that will feed 20,000 people. He says, but if you'll just give it to me. If you'll just give me what you have. What has God entrusted to you? You'll never be able to feed the thousands unless you trust him with your five. Loaves. So Matthew 25, 15, this is in the parable. To the one he gave, I just brought a bag for like a representation. To the one he gave five bags of gold. To another, he gave two bags of gold, so it's just a little smaller bag. I don't know. And to another, he gave one bag of gold. <laughs> Thank you, Meyer. <laughs> Give me an amen if you love Meyer. How about that one guy? I'm going to make this guy famous today. The guy who's at Meyer in Granville who says, hello, welcome to Meyer. Tell me, give me an amen if you know that guy in Granville. Hello, welcome to Meyer. He's awesome. He's a famous dude. We love him. Does anybody know his name? Greg? Dang. 
Greg is more famous than anyone here. Isn't that amazing? That feeds right into what I'm saying. I'm not even playing on that. Greg takes his job seriously. You know him because he loves you. Because he takes his time to be joyful in the small things. That's, man, I love Greg. Greg. I'm going to give him a big hug next time I go to Meyer. So to one he gave five bags, to another he gave two bags, and another he gave one bag, each according to his ability. Then the master went on his journey. So with our culture today, it's not fair. He got five bags. I only got one. He got five bags of gold. I only got one. You see, I think the kingdom of God to human standards is not fair, you could say. Because we all want equality. We all want the same things. We all want it to be a fair playing field. And what Jesus is saying here is some got five, some got two, and some got one, each according to his ability. That didn't mean that eventually they couldn't gain more. That meant... That meant in their circumstance, at the point of their lives, that's what they could be trusted with. Five, two, and one. And the reality is that we've all been trusted with something. We've all been trusted with, with something very special. Very special. Ourselves. God trusted us to make choices. He trusted us to be ourselves. He trusted us to choose him. That's very valuable. And it's not about how much we've been trusted. It's a matter that we've been trusted. So the amount of the value really isn't the issue. The issue is what you're going to do with what you have. Romans 12, three through seven. I'm actually just gonna read uh, verses five on. Sorry. So Romans 12, five through seven. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We all have different gifts. We all have different abilities. We all have different spheres of influences. And until the body of Christ realizes this, we'll never reach our potential. You see, God never made us to be the same. He made us to be different. He knew that we were one body and we all need to have and use our different gifts in order to bring forth the kingdom of God. See, if we're all the same, if we're all pastors, if we're all teachers, if we're all on the stage, who's going to be out in the world? If we're all in ministry, then how's the ministry going to get outside the church? And see, there's this, this misconception that if you're employed by a church or a ministry, then you are more spiritual. That is a total lie. 
a total lie. God is actually, God actually wants us to go into the world and invade it with the truth that we know. He, didn't want, he doesn't want us to fall back into a church. And I'm saying this because I work in a church. But the reality is, is that we're not all called, we all have different gifts, we all have different abilities, we all have different talents that God wants to use right where you're at because if you don't use it, then who will? He trusted you with it. In this I don't want it to come across this way. He trusts you. This is what I'm trying to say. He trusts you. He wants you to do well in life. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to realize your potential. And we got to know that we can't compare ourselves to other people. This is the trap that I get, I get sucked into all the time is comparing myself. Because, you know, I watch some other speakers on YouTube and on different um, media outlets and different preachers and teachers. And I try to gain some wisdom from them and some you know, tidbits to speak better, to deliver a better message. So I watch them. And if I'm not careful, it's actually really easy to compare myself to them and start judging my own ability based on their talents. But God never actually designed us to be compared to other people. Because when we try to be someone else, we're not being who we are. And God created you to be you. I'm not saying you can't learn from other people. What I'm saying is God created you specifically. And you can't be the other person. You have specific gifts that only you can accomplish. You have specific tasks that only you can do. I'm not designed to be other people. I'm designed to be me. You're not designed to be me, you're designed to be you. You're not designed to be the person next to you. So we're, we're given this gift, right? We're given, what is God's? So we need to ask ourselves, what is God trusting me with? Is he trusting you with one bag of gold, two bags of gold, five bags of gold? What is he trusting you with? The second question you need to ask yourself is, what are you doing with it. What has God trusted you with and what are you doing with it? So there's two types of people that, that we find in this parable in the story. The first person is called, I, I, call, I titled them the digger. Matthew 25, 24 through 25. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man harvesting where you have not sown. Excuse me in gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. So this guy takes what he has and he digs a little hole and he hides it. This mentality is, thinks, has the thought process of how can I not lose it? That's not a kingdom mindset. The kingdom mindset comes from the next person, which I like to call the multiplier. Matthew 25, 20. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And the same happened to the man with two bags of gold. It's called the multiplier because they take what they have and they multiply it. 
So what are you doing with what's been entrusted to you? What have I been doing that's entrusted to me? What are you doing with your bag? Whatever size it may be. You see, the multiplier has a different way of thinking. They think about the future. They think and they realize that small, simple tasks go a very long way. Small details make the difference. The multiplier, multiplier thinks, how can I utilize this bag so I can get the most out of it? How can I use what's right in front of me to get the most out of it? What can I use that God's placed in front of me? How, how can I use my job? How can I use my, not use your family, but how can I influence my family? How can I use my car? How can I use my talents to multiply the kingdom of God? You see, God has purposes and plans for your life, for the future. But you can't sacrifice your dream, your, you can't sacrifice the details for the dream. Does that make sense? You can't avoid doing or you can't avoid focusing on the details and expect to get to your dream. The multiplier takes what they have, they look at it and they say, okay, God, what can you do to that? Even worse off, they say, God, what can you do with my little Ziploc bag? How can, how can you take this and turn it into something that I've never seen before? There's a game called Bigger and Better. Give me a holler if you've ever played it. So you start off with like a penny, you're like a pen, and you go door to door and you say, hey, you knock on the door and you say, hey, we're playing this game called Bigger and Better. Um, I have this bag. Can you give me anything bigger or better? And they say, oh, yeah, sure. I have a picture frame. So they give you a picture frame. You go to the next door. You knock on the door. You say, hey, I have this picture frame. Can, I, can you trade me anything that's bigger or better? They say, oh, sure. I got this book. So you take the book. You go to the next door. And you, see, you go and you go and you go. And there's stories of people who have traded a penny for a car. Because they looked at the penny and they say, okay, this is what I have. Let's see what I can do with it. And that's the way the kingdom of God is. That's the way God views you. He says, look at what you have, evaluate what you have, and say, okay, God, how can you take what I have and multiply it? So it's not about your dream. It's not about your purpose in the future. It's about what's in front of you right now. You see, in, in, our, in people our age, we say, okay, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't know if God has plans for me. I don't, you know, these are thoughts that go through our minds. Are we doing the right thing? God, am I doing the right thing? Am I going the right place? God, I don't know. And here's the deal. It's okay to not know. It's okay to not be sure, because guess what? I had a plan for my life. I was like, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get my master's. I'm going to become assistant principal. Then I'm going to become a principal. Then I'm going to become a superintendent. And then I'm going to be on top of the world. Guess what? Because when you have your plans that you even think, I was like, God, God has designed me to be a superintendent, to be a leader in a school. I was so sure of it that God put that in my heart. But guess what? God said, nope. 
Because when your destination fuels you, when you get there, you, don't, you won't know what to do. So it's about what's right in front of you right now. It's about the Ziploc bag. It's okay to have this Ziploc bag. At least you have something. How many, how many of you know it's better to have one dollar to have none? Amen? All the college students said, amen. I can buy an Arnold Palmer with one dollar. So the multiplier mindset. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Turn to your neighbor and say, God has good works for you to do. Oh, let's look at this, that you should walk in them. You don't have to walk in them. That you should walk in them. He has them planned out specifically for you. It's our choice to choose to do them. And it's good works. You know what a good work is? Smiling at someone. You know what a good work is? Opening the door for someone. You know what a good work is? Encouraging an employee at a coffee shop that you go to and say, you know what, you just do a really good job. Because you never know what a person needs. You never know where a person's at. You never know when a person needs that little piece of encouragement, that little good work, that little thing that's right in front of you, but that you don't think's that significant. But the reality is, is God's using these little things. God's using your everyday circumstances to build you up. You're never doing anything in vain. You're never doing anything for nothing because God is using those things for your purpose, but it's our choice to allow him to use those things. See, the everyday things are what make you who you are. It's not your church attendance. It's not your grandiose acts of love. It's the small things. It's how you treat your family. It's how you treat your wife. It's how you treat your mom. It's how you treat your dad. It's how you treat your closest friends. It's the everyday things that define who you are. It's who you are when no one's looking. That's what defines us. So we want to be excellent in the everyday. Agreed? We need to be excellent in the everyday things. In the gas station. At the grocery store. Come on, Greg. Greg's, man, he's the man. He's the everyday excellent model. We need to be excellent in our everyday activities. So we talked about this mindset, right? The multiplier mindset. I want to show you what, what one little small act can lead to, and it's called exponential growth, and that's what, that's what the kingdom is all about. There's this thing called linear, which is a straight line for all you math people out there, and then there's exponential. The exponential starts slow, and then it goes like this, and it's, it's infinite. So what's, what's two times two? What's two times two times two? Two times two times two times two? You see, it goes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. We need to have that mindset that our everyday actions have an eternal, an eternal impact. Let's take a look. So there's this guy named Edward Kimball. You know who he is, right? No, didn't think so. But he's pretty important. I'll show you why. So Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. Edward Kimball led a man by the name of Dwight L. Moody to the Lord. Dwight L. Moody 
traveled to England and wakened the heart of a young pastor, F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer became one of the great Bible expositors, came to the USA and preached on college campuses and was used to convert a student to Christ, Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman attended one of Moody's meetings in Chicago and became D.L. Moody's co-worker. Wilbur Chapman employed an ex-baseball player as his assistant, Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday invited an evangelist to Charlotte. His name was Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham preached in the tent where Billy Graham was saved. And if you don't know who Billy Graham is, he's one of the greatest evangelists of all time. He's led tens and tens of thousands of people to the Lord. But I'm not focusing on Billy Graham. I'm focusing on Edward Kimball because his small act of being a Sunday school teacher. Raise your hand if you think you could be a Sunday school teacher to teach little kids, maybe. Maybe not. Not all of us can handle little kids. Sometimes I... Anyways, Edward Kimball did his job well. There's a lot of Sunday school teachers out there, guys. A lot. Not discounting their, their jobs or their, what they're doing. But I'm saying is a small act. Can you see the domino effect, the chain reaction? To how tens, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people's lives changed because of Billy Graham's ministry. But that all started with one man who just did his job well. You see, we don't see that now. But we need to have that mindset now that our actions, the things that we do every day can have such an amazing impact. And we need to have faith in that and believe that our everyday actions are important. They're so important. The little things are so important. The little things, what's God, what God has entrusted you with what are you doing with them? I want to I talk about one man from, from Acts 10. His name is Cornelius. He's found in the Bible. Cornelius, I didn't really know who this dude was until recently. Acts 10, 1 through 8. At, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. He probably didn't say it like that. but Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, this is what I want to focus on. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. This is what happens. He sends for Peter. Peter comes back and his whole household gets saved. But it all started with a man who was God-fearing, who prayed and who was, gave generous to the poor. The small things set him up for the big thing. The everyday was a catapult 
into an event that is now recorded in the Bible. Pretty big deal. But it was every day. It didn't say he, one time he gave to the poor. He says he gave, he was consistently giving generously to the poor. He didn't do it because he knew God would meet him. He did it because he was God-fearing. He loved God and he realized what God was calling him to do. It wasn't out of his desperation for God. It was out of his love for him. So I want to highlight actually one more person. His name is, I believe his name is Tertius. Tertius, is, he's only found in one verse in the Bible. Romans 16, 22. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. So what happened was Paul wrote Romans, but Tertius was actually the scribe. He used what he was given, an ability to write, an ability to know grammar, and he used it to write the book of Romans. He used his everyday gift to have an eternal impact. His everyday gift of just writing. So my question is, what, what are your gifts? What are the things that are right in front of you? What are your jobs? What has God trusted you with? And what are you doing with it? My last question is, do you want more? Matthew 25, 23, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. If you want more, if you say, I know what God has more for me, start focusing on what he's entrusted with you right now. Just do the small things. Because guess what? When you do the small things, it opens your heart up to bigger things. If you're faithful with the small, you'll be faithful with much. Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through him. In Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So our job today, tomorrow, is to be excellent in the everyday, to be ordinarily extraordinary, to do the jobs that people do every day, but to do them to the best of our ability, that we know that our job is we're doing it unto the Lord, not unto men. So it's not when our boss leaves, we're like, oh, glad he's gone. I can slack off a little bit. It's no, when he's gone, you're working even harder. So when he comes back, he says, man, I've never met anyone who works like you. Why do you work so hard? Because I'm a Christian. Christians should be known for their work. Because we're not doing it for men. We're doing it for God. We're doing it for Christ. We're doing it because he's always with us. So do your job. Do your job extraordinarily. Be ordinarily extraordinary. I want to tell you about someone who was ordinarily extraordinary in the Bible. His name was David. No matter what was given David, he made the most of it. No matter what was in front of him, he said, okay, God, use it. He said, okay, God, I'll let you use it. So let's start off with David's life. If you don't know it, I'll try to go a little bit slow. So David, he was a shepherd. But guess what? He was a darn good one. 
He was a shepherd. He killed a bear and a lion that attacked his sheep. He took pride in being a shepherd. He did his job ordinarily extraordinary. I totally messed that up. You know what I mean. Okay, I'm sorry. He did his job well. (laughs) I'm confusing myself. This is terrible. He did his job well. And guess what? So David took over as king for Saul. Samuel the prophet anointed him. Guess what he was doing when he was anointed king? Taking care of his sheep. So my question is, what are you going to be doing when God calls you? Are you going to be at your job? Are you going to be at Meyer? Are you going to be a mechanic, an accountant? What are you going to be when God calls you? Are you doing your job well because he wants to use you? He wants to use what you're doing. Because God wasn't looking for a king to lead Israel. He was looking for a shepherd. He was looking for someone who would take care, who would care for the sheep, a man after his own heart, and that was David. So when he was called to be king, he was taking care of his sheep. Even after he was, he was king, he was anointed king, he wasn't king yet, he had to wait. He had to wait 22 years. So then he, pr- then he played the harp for King Saul. He played the harp for him and it said, Saul loved David and that he brought peace to him when he played the harp to him. And then David brought bread to his brothers. While he was bringing bread to his brothers, there was a big tall guy who was making fun of the Israelites. And David said, I'll take him on. I'll take him on. He wasn't a warrior, but he, he knew one thing, that God was with him. And whatever he did, he did it well. He was excellent in the everyday. He was excellent. And that's what God is, is inviting us to do, is to have the multiplying mentality. To know that our everyday actions have eternal influences. This is good news. And I'm excited Because we're going to go out tomorrow to your jobs and we're going to be excellent. And we're going to start making a difference and we're going to start realizing that our actions make a difference. That our kindness makes a difference. That our love makes a difference. That our selflessness, unselfishness makes a difference. And I'm so excited that we get to do it together. And when you have a cool story about you know, a testimony of what's happened at your work, come tell me, come tell Nick, come tell someone. We want to celebrate with you. We want to celebrate in the small things because those small things are what propel you to the big things. I want you to bow your heads with me. God, Thank you for being with us. Thank you for being our dad. Thank you for never leaving us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you anchor this message in our hearts 
so that we'll never forget it. So that we'll take our everyday actions and be excellent in them. That we'll not view our jobs, we won't view our lives as something that's worthless, but that we'll view them as something that's precious and that you're using to propel us into our purpose. And God, that we would just know in our hearts and experience the love that you have for us. Just thank you, God, that you're here. Holy Spirit, teach us. Teach us and show us and reveal to us our value, our purpose, and how much you love us. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.